0: been sold the idea that financial independence is all about some number on your account statement or even worse that you don't qualify because of where you started out that's just not true it's not about some well-kept secret of the wealthy it's about finding the right information and knowing how to apply it on the get ready for the future show we're answering your questions so you can start making real financial change today the journey to true financial independence begins right here and it starts with you
1: Helping our clients achieve and maintain true financial independence at Wealth Financial Advisors. Glad to have you along for another edition of the Get Ready for the Future show. I am Scott Inman, along with John Shrewsbury. Welcome and happy Memorial Day as we live stream this program on May 24th. It's the middle of the week, but we know the radio program airs over the weekend, and you may be catching this a little bit later on. But I want to say uh, thanks to all our men and women who over the centuries, we can say now, Uh, have been willing to and, in these cases, had to lay down their lives uh, for our freedom and our way of life, Uh, our successes. We owe all of them a great deal of gratitude, John.
2: We could not be doing what we do today, any of us, without that sacrifice. And so, absolutely, we believe that that Memorial Day is one of the most sacred holidays that we celebrate in America. Right up there with the Independence Day, which we are talking about independence all the time around here and you have to connect those dots. You have to say, you know what, if there had not been those people that just kind of bowed up and, and and paid that sacrifice, we wouldn't have the independence that we have today.
1: Yeah, it was on my mind this week as I prepared for the fastest four minutes in finance. If you don't get that, uh, be a great time to start if you want to learn a little history about Memorial Day. I love history. I love origin stories. We all <laughs> love that, right? And we yeah. go to the movies. How did Memorial Day actually start? Did you ever really think about that? A little bit of that and some other things about how we feel about Memorial Day weekend. If you aren't a subscriber to the Fastest Four Minutes in Finance, let me give you two quick ways to do that. You can text the word FAST to 501-381-5228 or go to our website. This is the easiest way we do it. I I sit in uh, client meeting rooms all the time and ask them if they are getting that. And they go, no, I'd like to have that. And we sign them up right there on the spot. You can go to GetReadyForTheFuture.com. And look under Shows, and you'll see the Fastest Four Minutes in Finance. Click on that, and there'll be a way to just enter your email address, and we'll deliver that video that is always promised to be four minutes or less on financial topics uh, every Friday morning. You'll get it in your email inbox, and that's all you have to do. Just type in your email, and we'll get it to you.
2: Yeah, or if you're a podcast listener of the Get Ready for the Future show, you're going to automatically get the Fastest Four as a bonus episode. Right uh that that uh, comes out on friday morning at 5 a.m so if you're heading into work on fridays you can uh, pull up your podcast and listen to the fastest four minutes
1: and by the time you get to work you'll have everything you need to know yeah it doesn't really come out on friday because the kids say it drops that's the new you know it drops oh, well, on friday <clears throat> obviously the new um, season obviously i'm not there <laughs> all right on to our questions today on the get ready for the future show Uh, As that has been our format now for several weeks, we are enjoying taking your questions. Want to hear from you. Uh, You can also reach out on that same number and give us a question either by text or voicemail. Just call or text 501-381-5228 to have your questions answered on the air. Or you can send us an email as well to show at GetReadyForTheFuture.com. So diving in first up is Marianne from Rogers. And Marianne writes, I'm 62. I've worked at my current job for eighteen years and just got offered a severance package with twelve months notice. I'm not sure whether to take this as a sign to retire or if I need to start looking for a new job. What do I do? Big decision for Mary. Uh getting the severance package offered with twelve months notice. So what what do we need to consider, John? Let's let's dive into that for Mary.
2: Well, first of all, uh, good thing, Mary, that you get twelve months notice. Yes. Some people get twelve minutes notice. Correct. And so you know, that's uh That's a real good thing, and you've got a great opportunity. But I do think that you need to really have the right mindset going into this. First of all, you need to have a planning mindset. You know what's coming, so you've got to plan. Now, secondly, I don't think, Mary, just because somebody in some corporate office decides that they need to uh, get rid of some employees and offer a severance package, I don't think that needs to determine what you are going to do you are solely in control of your retirement date. It's not an imaginary date. It's not a date that your employer says, okay, it's time for you to retire. You really need to evaluate that. And Scott, I think that first of all, uh, the severance package is is probably uh, going to be some percentage of their salary or their income or something of that nature, but it's likely to not be enough to really fund retirement, right. so I think that there has to be an evaluation first of what Mary needs to be able to uh, continue her lifestyle and her living expenses uh, during that retirement time, and the question has to be asked: Do you have enough? And I think that's where we start.
1: Yeah, and that so that severance package Mary is obviously meant to replace your income for a very short amount of time, but when you're talking about making a decision whether this should be a sign to retire or not. It should be based on a plan that shows you, can you replace your income for the rest of your life? And that's what John's alluding to. So that really depends on where you are. And we need to know uh, a lot more, a lot more details to be able to answer that question. And it depends on where you are in the ready to retire process. And that is the uh, Gen Wealth Financial Advisors process that we've trademarked, that we put every client through in creating a detailed written plan for their retirement includes that written plan. And inside of that, a analysis on how to maximize social security, how to defend against taxes. when we're talking about replacing your income for the rest of your life, you're going to need to know how social security fits into that with assets that you may have saved and invested over the course of your work life. We're going to need to know how taxes eat into that and creating a strategy to take home as much Income as you can from those assets. We've got a plan for long-term care. Long-term care is—I always call it the potential elephant in the room, John. It's the one thing nobody wants to talk about unless they've had family history, usually in dealing with it. But it is something that has to be a uh, a consideration when you're talking about replacing your income, whether it happens or not.
2: Yeah, long-term care is one of those things that, uh, as you said, everybody kind of has their head in the sand uh, to some extent about. But it is the one big thing that could blow up your financial plan. Now, we don't know whether Mary is married or not. Uh, We do know that she is 62. So from an income planning standpoint, knowing that, that there is Social Security available at least, that does kind of fill in some of the blanks there. But I think that the real prescription here, Mary, is to really take stock of where you are, where you are in terms of your health where you are in terms of whether you've got the energy to keep working, if you have the desire to keep working. Some people really do love their work and really want to just wait into it for a long period of time. Don't see themselves really retiring until maybe into their 70s or something like that. So I think that you first of all have to put away any notion that the employer has really any big influence on you and your decision to retire or not. And so, obviously, we need to know what you're looking at in terms of 401k savings, uh, assets, otherwise uh, invested like IRA accounts, Roth IRA accounts, maybe investment accounts that you have with after-tax money. All of that has to be evaluated, Mm. and you figure out, first of all, how much money do you need coming in every month to pay your basic living expenses? And then figure out how you're going to cover that. And then above and beyond that, you take a look at okay, what would I like to have? What discretionary spending would I like to be able to do on a regular basis? Now, here here's a little caveat to this, Scott. You can't get real crazy about that. You yeah, know, yeah. I, I would like to. Uh, you know, <laughs> what is the saying you used to say? Some people want to go to Paris, France, and some people want to go to Paris, Arkansas. Right. Yep. That uh, that trip is, uh, is <laughs> a big, big difference financially. Yes. And so I think that you've got to be realistic about what your discretionary spending could be. But I think that the other thing that I would evaluate is what would my plan support right now right. Right. versus if I continue to work, continue to save, continue to let my investments grow and compound Where would I likely be in the future? And all of those answers are actually discoverable in the Gen Wealth Ready to Retire process. And
1: I think that's actually for our clients more often than not the way we go. They're not real sure about how much discretionary income they'd like to have because most people do say I'd like to have as much as I can, right? So we're going to be able to walk through that Ready to Retire process, create a monthly income plan, and show you based on uh, the asset level you're at What amount of income on a monthly basis will it produce? And that can help people like Mary, or if it's you who's listening on the other end today, it'll help you understand, well, here's where I am, and here's what I can get out of my assets, and then maybe that causes you to consider a hybrid retirement. That's another possibility for Mary, too, is maybe you don't really, you're not ready to retire yet, but maybe you're ready to semi-retire and not have to find another job like the one you're currently in. I think either way, Scott, in about a year, Mary's going to have some really
2: important decisions to make. And and mm. looking at those decisions, uh, I think she's got to understand what her 401k options are. So yeah. let's walk through those for just a moment. Obviously, in a 401k plan, that's money that you put in and your employer has matched to some degree. And it's all pre-tax money unless you've made Roth contributions. And so deciding what to do with that at the juncture when you are uh, gone from your work, when you you actually do uh, sever your relationship with your current employer, that's a big deal. So let's walk through your options. You could leave the money with your old employer. Not a lot of people really think that that's a great idea because they are disconnected from their old employer. They don't really know what's going on with the plan and that type of thing. The other thing is if you actually do decide that you want to continue working and you get a new job between now and then, then you can roll that 401k into the new 401k, assuming the new company has a 401k. If they don't have a 401k, or if you want to just get your assets ready for your eventual retirement, then you can roll those assets into an IRA account. You could roll Roth assets into a Roth IRA account. Either way, that is a non-taxable transaction. It is taking it out of one pocket and putting it into another, but the pocket that you put it into, you're actually in control of with your advisor and in in terms of the investments that you're selecting for that account in terms of how that money is invested, either short-term, intermediate-term, or long-term. Lots of options there. The final way that you could handle that 401k is to just cash it out. And Scott, that is one that we really just oftentimes dissuade people from even thinking about doing mm-hmm. because the tax consequences are so great. If you have $100,000 in your 401k and you've been making, let's say, $50,000 a year and you cash out that 401k, you now have a tax liability for the entire year of $150,000. Well, guess what? You've only been withholding for payment on taxes uh, in the amount of about $50,000 on based on your salary. So you have this huge tax bill that you got to pay, which puts a big dent in your future retirement yeah. savings.
1: Yeah, and Marianne is 62, but if you're under 59 and a half, there's an additional 10% penalty on those cash-out withdrawals, so right. another way to get hit. So cashing out is not usually the option that you want to go with. So just kind of reviewing that and keeping it simple, you can cash it out, you can roll it out, you can roll it in, or you can do nothing, right? Those right. are the four options. If you'd like some help discovering what is the right decision for you, or if you have some more questions about how all that works... You can obviously reach out to us here uh, at Wealth. Go to GetReadyForTheFuture.com. Send us an email and just uh, w- say you want to connect with a financial advisor, and we'll be glad to help you out with that. Taking your questions on the Get Ready for the Future show today and every episode, call or text them to us at 501-381-5228. We've got one now from our previous workshop that we had a couple of weeks ago on Social Security. Had a great uh, attendance for that workshop. It was a packed room, in fact. And we had some good questions in the Q&A section of that. And we have one that we're going to actually bring to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you missed out on the workshop, be sure to subscribe uh, and follow us on all platforms so you don't miss the next opportunity. But let's hear our question from that most recent workshop. Can't remember exactly where I uh, read this, but I've seen at least two different articles talked about, I think is in 2032 of the Social Security benefit being reduced by 20%. Do you know anything about that? All right. So that is a very common question that we get, not just in workshops, but also in the client meeting room, because especially, John, for younger workers, there's a lot of thought process that is Social Security even going to be there for me? That is currently true, right? Where we are right now, if nothing changes the Social Security Trust Fund has released a report as they do every year in April uh, with an estimated year that the trust fund would be depleted, which means there would not be enough money to pay the current level of benefits. Now, the caveat there, the next place we should go is for sure say that Social Security is a law in this country. It must continue. So, there is not going to be a stoppage of payments. Right. But if nothing is done and the trust fund is out of money, then current benefits would be reduced. The estimate is somewhere between 20 and 25 percent. Yeah. And I I hate to even bring this
2: up, Scott, but uh, we have to relate Social Security to the current discussions going on in Washington on Mm -hmm. the debt ceiling. Because Here's what's going on right now. There is a game of brinksmanship going on between Joe Biden and uh, the, the Republicans, and they are, are battling with each other about whether we are going to raise the debt ceiling, and if we raise the debt ceiling, are we going to cut spending and all of this. I think they've got to do both, quite frankly. And uh, But here's the problem. They're going to milk this for everything it's worth, and, and literally, if you remember back to 2011, they actually didn't pay some bills, and it caused the U.S. government's debt rating to be downgraded for the first time in history by the S&P Corporation. So Standard Poor's came in and said, okay, government debt is no longer AAA, it's AA. And my point is, is that, you know, they'll play these political games all the way up until it hurts. Because we saw the stock market take a dive in, uh, by about 10% in two days when all that downgrade happened we're holding our breath right now to see what happens with this debt ceiling but here's what that means for social security in 2032 will they do the same thing will they actually run right up to the point where uh they have to implement a a minor reduction in social security get the political firestorm going before they correct it but Mm. at the end of the day Scott, I believe they will correct it because those guys want to be reelected. That's the reason.
1: And I think, too, the fixes for the trust fund not to run out of money. And if you think about how this has occurred, well, you think about when Social Security was first established. It was for the workers' retirement only. We have added a lot of benefits that have helped a lot of people over the years. Spousal benefits, survivor benefits, uh, benefits for children. So disability, there's a lot that has been added that has drawn off of that social security so there's not enough money coming in on social security taxes that will by 2032 estimated 2032 allow social security to have enough money to send out payments at current levels so what has to happen they got to get more revenue right so the there's a pain point there for politicians to take to the american people that to fix social security we've either got to and probably a combination of these things raise the retirement age yep raise your social security taxes possibly put a means test on wealthy Americans to determine whether they deserve social security or not even though they paid in for social security and then remove the cap that's one of the probably the most popular ones that probably will happen the cap on income that is taxable for social security if you think about if you make over i think it's around $150,000 a 160, year $160,000 right this year so if yep. you make over if you make $200,000 a year that last $40,000 in income does not have social security tax withdrawn that could change. They could raise that. I take the lid off of it and com- completely. But the flip side of that is, if you're going to have people pay more in, their benefit should get larger in theory, right? In but theory, it, but it probably wouldn't. So probably not. There are no easy fixes, is the point.
2: No, and you know, Janet is fond of saying, uh, uh, quoting Winston Churchill, I believe it is, uh, when he said, you know, after exhausting all other possibilities, eventually the American people do the right thing, mm-hmm. and and I think that is very. Uh, appropriate to the politicians in Congress eventually this will all work out just like this debt ceiling thing if you're concerned about the debt ceiling we may go through a little bit of pain but uh, it's only going to take uh, a financial shock to the system temporary although it may be to clarify the thinking let's call it of the politicians on this debt ceiling but i think that eventually social security will work its way out and and will be continued on at its current level because the, the thought of not doing that is just unthinkable. I don't believe that politicians would survive if that happened, just like I don't think that we'll experience a long-term issue with this debt ceiling, but I am afraid that we will
1: walk right up to the edge and create some tremors uh, before this thing is done. Well, we actually have a question as we move on in the show today. Charles from Bryant asks us, uh, he says, I'm 46 and concerned about the debt limit conversations happening. I read that although three past debt limit standoffs have ended without a default, this time could be different, and the government could default on its debts as early as the 1st of June. What does this really mean, and should we be worried? Well, I do. Say, I would say this. We should be worried about the state of debt that our country is in. Yes. That, that is the thing that we should be worried about, and the fact that we find ourselves in this position again to have a need to raise the debt ceiling the long-term problems are still there doesn't go away by raising the debt ceiling but should we as far as from an i guess the question is probably more about the well it may be about the long-term future of the country and it should be but also from an investment perspective And i think that's kind of where we want to zero in john when you talk about what's going to happen if if there is a default uh, there's going to be a whiplash in in the markets initially.
2: Yeah, and let's let's clarify something. Let's first of all uh, define the word default. Default means that you don't make a payment on a debt. And according to Brian Westbury, who is an economist with First Trust, he has looked at all this information and he has said that there is plenty of money to pay the debt service that we have on the existing debt. But what that would mean is that there would be a lot of other interruptions in terms of government contracts, in terms of Social Security, government payments to their workers. Uh, A lot of catastrophic things would happen, but we would not necessarily default on a debt. Now, that being said, if we don't default, but all those other things happen, which is kind of what happened in 2011 – we're going to see some economic pain. We're going to see the stock market sell off greatly. We're going to see people without jobs. We're going to see interest rates rise. We're going to see inflation go through the roof. We're going to see a lot of damage. because, And that's the brinksmanship, Scott, that I was talking mm-hmm. about earlier. The closer we get to that deadline, whatever that deadline is, the more that we would actually see the hurt happen in terms of the economy and the markets. And I think we've got uh, an example of this, and while the short-term pain would actually be pretty rough, this is what happened in 2011. Longer term, this uh, tends to work itself out.
1: Yeah. So 2011, uh, you you alluded to that uh, earlier, and when we were talking about Social Security, that that was that when uh, the the debt ceiling crisis ended in no no uh, deal struck, and the standard empires lowered the quality. Of U.S. debt and that sent the market into a turmoil. Can we go back to the 2011? Just kind of hang out on that just a minute, Uh, because that is the yeah. So that's what happened. We went from uh, between 1750 and 1800 on the S and P 500 down to below 1550 over about a six month period of time there from March to September. But then it came back up once things worked itself out. And then now if we go to that second slide, that shows you really the not hole versus the full forest right we talk about that all the time the knot hole is what's happening today what's happening over a six month period of time maybe even a year's time but you see what a blip on the radar it is for those of you watching on the video version of the show uh, where we were in 2011 versus where we were where we are now or even if we if you just pick 2014 2013 it did work itself out so again it's just the crisis of the day on one hand, but the other s- sad part of this, John is, is it's something long term and, and we're not going to get into politics here, but the reality is the long-term debt and the and the interest on that debt, the uh, the prevalence of out of control spending, something's going to have to give and it's probably going to be higher taxes is probably what's going to happen.
2: Yeah, and let's let's really uh, try to dig, dig deep into this for just a second, Scott. There's only so much money in the economy that is going to go to buy debt instruments, bonds. And that's what the government issues. They issue a bond, which is essentially an IOU, and people buy government bonds in order to get the interest on that. But there is a a limited supply of money that will actually flow toward debt instruments in the overall global economy. I am afraid that we're going to hit a point at some point in time where there's no more money to borrow. And when that happens, then we have to do something. But what this is doing in the meantime is it's actually taking away capital from debt instruments of private businesses that need to borrow money for whatever reason. And it's causing them to have to pay higher interest rates to actually attract that money. And so this is a a big, big problem. It's not just about taxing and spending. It's really about the overall uh, integrity of the global financial system. And America is so big and our debt is so big, we have got to do something to get this under control. And as I said earlier in the show, I believe that that clearly uh, do we need to avoid a, a crisis right now? Yes, maybe bump up the debt ceiling a little bit right now. But we've got to go back and enact some some very legitimate spending cuts. And those things have to happen. Santa Claus is not real. <laughs> there is just no fairy tale out there that you're going to just this endless supply of money. I just don't buy into that because of exactly what I said a minute ago. There's a limited supply of capital that flows to the debt markets and so when you think about that then you go okay we've got to do something with this and i think that's really what the point of the republican side of this uh, debate is is that they're trying to force this issue now the problem is they've waited almost too late with this current cycle of the debt ceiling to try to trigger that
1: well we now know that you should not be 10 and under and listen to the get ready for the future show.
2: <laughs> that's true it's a little deep i, I didn't mean to no, go i no, meant the
1: santa claus comment well, that's true. <laughs> all right so before we leave this question I do want to say because the last part of it was should we be worried. So how should we respond? I'm going to go back to Brian Westbury on this one because I thought he had a great analogy on this. He said if, I, if we were going to play a baseball game and I told you the first six innings of the baseball game are going to be played with the rules that you understand about baseball, assuming you know the rules about baseball. Home runs going to be one run, right? And if somebody's on base, it's however many people are on base get a run too. But in the seventh inning, I'm going to, at the end of the sixth, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say the seventh inning is going to be played a different way. I might tell you a home run's worth a half a run. I might tell you a home run is worth three runs. Would you play the first six innings differently? And the answer is no. You have to play with the rules you know and control yep. what you can control. Right.
2: And there's no control that you have over what's going on in Washington and whether yep. this is going to happen or not. And, frankly, there is no place to hide if it does happen. Debt markets, uh, money market accounts, banks – Uh, you name it, are all going to be negatively affected by this to some degree. How much? We don't know. But uh, there is nothing you can do about it other than hang on and see what happens. And again, you have to almost rely on that Winston Churchill quote of eventually the
1: American Congress will hopefully do the right thing. All right, we're running out of time, so I want to get one more question on before we end. It's from Chantel and Conway, and she writes, I'm 54 and have a fair amount saved for retirement. My family has never really had a history of major health problems. I know long-term care policies are expensive. Is this something I really need, or should I set that money aside for something else? Well, thanks to Chantel, and 54 is a great time to be thinking about it, by the way, I might add. So for everybody listening, if you're between 55 and 60, that's when we need to really have some long-term care solutions in place in your plan. So when you say, is it something I need? There needs to be a plan that addresses long-term care. It may or may not, John, be an insurance policy.
2: I think the question, Chantel, first of all, is are you financially independent? Mm. If you are financially independent, meaning you've got enough money coming in from your investments, from your savings, that you could sustain the cost of long-term care for yourself, or if you're married, if you have a loved one, that, that your family could sustain that cost, then you may not need a long-term care policy, but you may need one if you want to use those assets to enrich the next generation. So it, it really is highly dependent upon your situation, but if you do not have enough money that you could continue the lifestyle of your family and take care of a long-term care expense, which is going to be somewhere between five and $10,000 a month uh, based on uh, a varying degree of, of different factors, then you probably do need to investigate some type of long-term care policy. LTC policies are not expensive compared to the cost of LTC. That's why you would buy the insurance, because you're actually paying for the care with what we would call discounted dollars, meaning that you could pay the premium on the long-term care, and that's going to take care of whatever the cost is of that long-term care coverage. You won't find an opportunity, though, that this will be cheaper for you Mm. than right now because Chantel is 54 years old and long-term care is based on, it's rated, the premiums are based on your age. As you get older, those premiums get higher. Why? Because it's more likely that you're going to need long-term care uh, as you get older. So the the risk goes up. The insurance company is going to charge you more for it. Scott, one of the things that you can do uh, in looking at this, if you choose to go down this road of insuring that risk that you have, just like you would insure the risk that you have with your house or your car or whatever, you're insuring the risk against it hurting your assets if you have a long-term care event. A thing that you could do is take a look at, at what is called life insurance-based long-term care, which we favor here at Wealth simply because it will lock in a benefit, it will lock in a premium, and you don't have
1: to worry about that premium accelerating as you get older. Yeah, so if you think about a traditional long-term care policy, it is a use it or lose it proposition for the owner of that policy. If you pay for that policy and you die instantly or suddenly and you never need that care, you've paid those premiums over a long period of time potentially and never gotten any benefit. And the other problem with it is it because it's on a healthcare chassis, it likely will go up it can and will likely go up that premium so you could be paying more as you get older and we've seen instances where people are getting close to actually the age that statistically they would need long-term care and that's when the policy becomes unaffordable to them and they walk away from it just about the time they may need to use it so those are the problems with some long traditional long-term care policies on the life insurance side as john already mentioned you have an opportunity to lock in a level premium for the duration of that policy. And it's like buying a pool of money. It is not use it or lose it. So if you have uh, something that happens to you and you cannot perform two of the six activities of daily living and a physician signs off on that and says, let's say you had a stroke and you can't feed yourself or bathe yourself, then you would be able to go on claim on that policy and start to receive a monthly benefit. It would come to you into your account, and you can use it any way you'd like. If you die suddenly, then that death, that pool of money now becomes a death benefit that passes on to the next generation. And there can also be an in-between. If you need care and you, and you have a pool of money of $100,000 and you need 40 of it and then pass away there's still $60,000 left for a death benefit.
2: Yeah, somebody's going to benefit from the expense that you have for that long-term care, either you through the uh, benefit that is provided by that long-term care hybrid life insurance policy or your family through a death benefit that, by the way, is tax-free to your family and so it's really something that, that I think that each individual person has got to sit down and look at. And look, I, I understand. I get it. Uh, nobody likes paying insurance premiums, mostly uh, for things that you don't even want to think about. And yeah. long-term care is one of those things. But you have to look at the, at the pool of money that you have as far as your retirement is concerned and that type of thing as an asset, just like your home is an asset. And the question has to be, do I need to protect this asset or do I need to use this asset? And if I get into a situation where I need long-term care for an extended period of time, will this asset hold up under that strain? Will it be able to produce the income that's necessary? Scott, let me, I can't talk about long-term care unless I really address the, the fable out there is that the nursing home is going to take my money. The nursing home has zero power to take your money. The nursing home has a bill that they're going to send you for the services that you've consumed. You simply have to pay that bill, and then you're fine. They don't have any access to your money. Where this comes from is this whole idea of being able to qualify for Medicaid, which is basically a paupers program. It It is a plan for people who are indigent, and only have two thousand dollars to their name most folks that have retirement savings will never qualify for medicaid
1: you heard the uh, final bell there our thanks to our folks that brought in questions to us today and if you have a question you can call or text them to us at 501-381-5228 to hear your questions answered on the air or send an email to show at get ready for and as i think about wrapping up john you we talked about long term care. We talked about social security. We talked about, uh, I've got a severance package. How do I know if it's time to retire? You look back at the ready to retire process, and it answers all of those questions.
2: It really does. And I want to really uh, just kind of do a little counseling here for just a second. There's a lot of stuff going on right now. There's social security questions, there's debt ceiling, there's, you know, I, I've got a severance and I, I've got to make a decision, and all of these types of things. And it can be overwhelming. And what you have to do in any situation, I believe, especially with your money, is focus on the things that you can control and let go of the things that you can't control. Because to worry about the things that you can't control is just consuming energy and and really kind of just bringing you down. There are things that you can do to be in control of your finances. And planning is the first step of any of that. And the ready to retire process gives folks who are approaching retirement or are already in retirement the opportunity to clearly step in and do some good things for themselves as you move forward.
1: My final thought is uh, we're offering you a free download to find out how to secure financial independence. We have an offering for you called Securing Financial Independence, Seven Steps to Building a Sustainable Life After Work. You can get it by texting STEPS to 501-381-381. Five two two eight, or visit getreadyforthefuture.com/forward/slash/steps and download it for free. And we're out of time once again on the Get Ready for the Future show. These shows go by so fast. When we get your questions, send us one in five zero one three eight one five two two eight. You can call and leave a voicemail, or send us a text. And we'll see you again next time for another edition of the Get Ready for the Future show.
0: Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And you can always find us on social media. Search for Gen Wealth Financial Advisors on Facebook or on Twitter at Gen Wealth FA. The Gen Wealth Financial Team is available to you 24 7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866 653 PLAN. That's 866 653 7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment, and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LB. LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial.